Hi, everyone. Welcome to Being Patient Perspectives. I'm Deborah Kahn. Um, today's segment, we are looking at a first person perspective of what it's like to live with dementia. I'm very pleased uh, to have with us Mike Belleville, who joins us um, from the state of Massachusetts. Uh, he was originally diagnosed with early onset Alzheimer's only to find out that he had uh, Lewy body dementia. So Mike, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you so much for inviting me. I'm flattered and honored to be here. Mike, tell us, this is a story we hear so many times over and over again. It's a misdiagnosis or we have people say, commonly, it takes four or five years before they actually get a diagnosis. So tell us a little bit about what happened uh, in your situation. Sure. Um, I had actually been seeing a neurologist to begin with for other issues that were happening that we just couldn't understand, that we didn't know what was going on. Um, and, you know, we started telling him some of the things that were happening at work, uh, getting lost, coming home, pulling into someone else's driveway, things like that. Um, and he, until he finally started looking at other things, because initially, like most people, like sadly, who get to have this disease, I was told it was depression. So you have to go see a psychiatrist and that takes months. And then I was told it was Lyme disease and then it goes on and on and on until ultimately we finally got a, a diagnosis of younger onset Alzheimer's. And we saw a second opinion at Mass General Hospital, um, which we went and did, and uh, they confirmed the diagnosis. And that stayed that way for about, I'm thinking about three years uh, or two years. At and, that point though, sorry, I don't mean to interrupt, but no. I'm wondering at that point, were you, did you feel like you were losing your memory? Um, were you? The funny thing is, is it wasn't just about memory. And with me, the things that showed up first weren't just about memory. They were a little bit, but that wasn't the predominant feature or predominant thing that was happening. The thing that was happening more was uh, two things. One was um, my inability to multitask the way I used to be able to. Um, I was a communications tech for Verizon for nearly 20 years. I was an inside tech and it was a real critical type thinking job at times. And you had to be really on top of your game. And if you made mistakes, it could affect a lot of people. Um, so there was really not a lot of room for error. And, you know, I'd have two computer screens going and I could bounce from A to B and know exactly what I was doing from one to another. And that started to suffer um, because I was losing my focus, my concentration on what the heck, what, you know, what I was doing to begin with. So my job performance started to go down and I actually did find myself talking to coworkers or asking coworkers who I had actually initially trained. I was a trainer, one of the trainers on asking them how to do certain parts of my job um, that I just couldn't wrap my head around being able to do. So that was one part of it. But the other part was, was actually uh, changes in my personality. I was um, a very easy, you know, low key kind of guy, uh, very loved to laugh. And, and, and that part didn't change too much, but I was, I was starting to become quicker to anger, quicker to frustration. I was losing my patience a lot easier. Um, I was losing interest in a lot of the things that I enjoy doing. Um, I pull back from doing a lot of the things I like to do. Um, so it was, it's kind of ironic. It, it, 
it, it really kind of showed itself at work more than it did at home in the beginning, or so we thought, because, you know, I'd get home from work and my wife and everybody else would just, you know, the kids would just, oh, dad had a bad day. And it was a stressful day. You know, it was stress. It was this, you know, that caused me to be so snappy and things that I typically wouldn't do. Um, so that's how it kind of presented itself in the beginning. How, how did the doctor then, I mean, and we're going to get to Louis body, but I want to, I want to really um, delve into the diagnosis part because it seems to be such a pain point for so many people. Sure. Uh, why did the, di why did the doctor diagnose you or how I should say, did the doctor diagnose you with early onset Alzheimer's at that time? Sure. Everybody has, or most people have what they call an aha moment. Um, and for my wife and I, like I said, we haven't seen the doctor and, telling him all these different things that have been going on. Um, but our aha moment happened. And fortunately, um, I have a very loving wife. And we're still next month to be 38 years we've been married. Oh, congratulations. So, thank you. But at the time, I mean, like most married couples do, you still have disagreements, you have arguments. But and we had apparently a pretty rough argument. The thing that made it different was that the following morning when I woke up getting the cold shoulder from my wife and probably justifiably so, I had no recollection as to why. And which kind of made her a little angrier at first until she saw I was really sincere. I had no recollection of the conversation at all. And she told me some of the things I had said to her, things that I would never dream of telling her at, at all. That was a wake up call for us. We, we knew that this wasn't stress. It wasn't Lyme disease. It wasn't whatever they thought it was. So that's, you know, when we approached our neurologist again and we said, hey, listen, there's something more serious going on here. That's when he changed directions. So he, he sent me for a neuropsych exam. I went for spinal taps. I went for M, uh, MRIs, PET scans, and all those tests started coming back. Saying, and did they, did they find plaque in your uh, well, spinal tract? Unfortunately, I've, I've never had the amyloid plaque uh, uh, PET scan, mainly because the insurance company won't pay for it. Yeah. Um, but the MRI showed some abnormalities. The PET the spec scan showed abnormalities. The um, spinal tap showed, came back and said, you know, uh, abnormalities as well as the neuropsych exam. So every single one of them all came back and said, you know, probable neurological disorder, probable Alzheimer's. And again, they're never all gonna they're never gonna come right out and tell you 100 percent certainty that it's Alzheimer's. But were that's they, the were they we had. um were you getting in the neuropsych tests, I mean I'm assuming they gave you cognitive testing. Did you pass oh, yeah. the scale? How did you do no, I did not do very well in, in the, co in the no cognitive testing at all, as well as some of the memory areas. Um, and I still have, you know, challenges with that today. I, I went to uh, to see my neurologist that I have now at Mass General, and there's been a you know a progression just from last year to this year as far as the numbers and what the way things look. So that does. You know, that part of it does exist as that is, I think, typical with some people with Alzheimer's versus Lewy body. But Alzheimer's, the short term memory is more prominent 
in people with Alzheimer's versus Lewy body. Although I do have some short-term memory issues, they're not as severe. So you went to the neurologist and you said you lived, someone, um, we're getting a question in, how long did it take before that first diagnosis um, of early onset, before you realized, wait, this might not be early onset, this is actually another type of dementia, Lewy body? Um, okay, so if I'm understanding it right, um, the time it took to get my first or initial diagnosis, I believe took, I want to say a couple of years, if not longer, because again, they thought it was depression. So, you know, you go through that procedure for six months or longer, and then it was something else and that takes longer. But the time it went from me being diagnosed with younger onset Alzheimer's to Lewy body, I believe was about two or two and a half years. Um, and what was it that made someone say, wait a second, this might not be, it was it, was, was that a self-diagnosis or was no, that? Not at all. Not at all. Um, what ironically what happened is I changed, I had to change neurologist because the one I had been seeing at Mass General moved across the country. So he referred me to someone else who's a very great qualified doctor and it was a, a good friend of his. So it was during our first um, interview that we really went into more in depth, I think, than we did with the first doctor, because other things started showing up. So you, you know, they 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 talked to me, and then they talked to my wife separately, and other things that were happening um, that weren't necessarily happening as much as they were in the beginning. Things like hallucinations and. People say, well, people with Alzheimer's have hallucinations. They do, but usually it's further along in the progression. It's not as early as it is right now. Uh, but one of the hallmarks for Lewy body dementia is what they call REM sleep behavior disorder. And I'm probably going to get this not 100% right, but what happens is when you fall asleep, your brain sends your body a signal that basically paralyzes you when you get into REM sleep. So that when you're having those dreams, you're not acting out your dreams. Your body's paralyzed. When you have REM behavior sleep disorder, you're you're not getting that signal. So when you're having the dream and they're always confrontational, they're always, you know, not very pleasant dreams, you actually act them out. So you like punched, kicked, screamed, fell on the floor, knocked over my nightstand, walked into a wall because I'm not getting that signal. So I was officially you know, diagnosed with REM sleep behavior disorder at Mass General during uh, a sleep study. So and they, is, that, is that the defining um, characteristic of Lewy body? It's one of, and, and what I've been told or what I've heard was that if you do have, they call RBD, there's a very high likelihood that you will develop or you do have Lewy body dementia. I'm not trying to get your audience, but um, but that's what I've been told recently. So what, what does it mean to have and to live with Lewy body a dementia? It's, I, I don't like to, you know, say uh, they're all terrible, horrible diseases, no matter which one you have. I think the thing that makes Lewy body a little more challenging um, is because 
it affects so many different parts of your your body. I, I mean, it, to me, it affects your personality. It affects who you are as a person. Um, like I said, I have mood changes, like up and down, you know, depression is, could be really low. The, the thing with Lewy body is there's a lot of peaks and a lot of valleys. I mean, one day I could be absolutely great. My cognition is perfect. You know, I look at myself and go, what am I doing sitting at home? I should be at work or I should be at least behind the wheel driving a car. And then four hours later, I just kind of hit that wall where things just kind of slow down. Um, and I, I, I can't say exactly how it is for Alzheimer's, but I don't think that they have as much of the peaks and valleys as someone who's living with Lewy body does. Um, and it's just, it's, it's just something that's completely misunderstood because a lot of what happens could be mistaken for just someone thinking that, oh, here's a not pleasant person, you know, but if they had seen me three hours earlier, they would have seen a completely different person. Um, so we, we have a question coming in from um, an audience um, a member who is asking, saying, hi, Mike, um, how did you feel upon receiving another new diagnosis? How did that make you feel emotionally after living for a few years thinking you had early onset Alzheimer's? It's a great question. Um, I, I, I'll answer it this way. When I first, we were first told it was Alzheimer's. Uh, at first we were just confused and baffled and we had the same stereotypes that everybody else does. Um, that's an old person's disease. I'm too young for that. It, oh, that I don't have a, that big of a problem with my memory. Um, but at the same time, there was this little tiny sense of relief that didn't last very long um that at least we knew what was going on once we learned more about the disease and how devastating it is obviously that kind of goes by, by the side but it was almost the same way when i found out that it was Louis body because there were so many other these little things that were happening the hallucinations um the parkin i don't have parkinson's but i have parkinsonian symptoms um, i have problems with my balance um, Right now, I've been using a cane for a little over a year, not because I have joint problems, but because I don't know sometimes which way, you know, I could just tip over. Um, so there's all those other little things that Louis body presents itself with that um, is different from other forms of dementia. Not like I said, I don't want to make it sound like it's worse than other types, but it's certainly not. Uh, it's certainly not a pleasant experience all the time. How how do they treat um, Lewy body? Is there is there a different medication specifically for Lewy body? No, none. Uh, right none. now, there's nothing specifically for Lewy body. I'm I'm being given the same two medications I've, I was given for younger uh, for uh, Alzheimer's, and and right now that's mainly because there are only four approved FDA. Uh, medications that are approved by the FDA for dementia itself, and they're primarily approved for Alzheimer's, but because the doctors don't have anything else to give you, they have to, you know, they want to try and give you something. What, which ones are you taking right now? I believe I'm taking Aricept and Namenda mm -hmm. for, and then I take a Parkinson's Parkinson symptom, uh, Parkinson's medication as well, as well as my wife has the list. <laughs> 
keep track of it, but she has the list. Yeah. Now we we briefly spoke about this earlier, um, but uh, you know I I had said to you that um, I've spoken to a pathologist who told me that seventy five percent of autopsies on um, dementia people with dementia he does um, he realized it was it was Alzheimer's and another type of dementia a combination of of a couple. Um, which to me, I was very surprised about that. But from your perspective, um, is it, um, do you feel confident that it is Louis body now that you've had that diagnosis? Absolutely. Um, when I, when they first told me what it was, I was like, like everybody else, what the heck is that? Yeah. Um, but the more you do research on it and the first time I read something, I think it was on the Mayo Clinic. Uh, website, it was like I was reading a book about myself, you know, about the signs and the symptoms and the things that were going on with me. And I had my wife Cheryl read it too, as well, just to make sure this wasn't just me. And of course, she read it and agreed with it. Um, I mean, it, it's so hard with the, with dementia, with any kind of dementia, they just don't know. I mean, they really don't know. So could it be a mixed dementia? It probably is. I mean, it very well could be. I mean, and I think that is the case with a lot of people. Um, so, which which makes it that much harder to, not even to say diagnose, but to treat. Uh, because one of the things that's really important with uh, getting a diagnosis of Lewy body versus Alzheimer's um, or another form of dementia is that there's certain drugs that they would give you that can actually have more harmful effects um, or could even be deadly for somebody with Lewy body, uh, Lewy body, antipsychotic drugs, um, Halidol or, or things like that, that they might give someone with Alzheimer's. If you gave that to a person with Lewy body, it would just, it actually exacerbates the symptoms. It doesn't make them go away. It makes it worse and it could do more harm than good. Wow. That, so what, what would, since you've been on this journey now, um, five years plus, um, what would what would you be? What have you learned? What would be your advice to other people uh, who may be in similar situations who have been given a diagnosis? Um, what what would have helped you um, now that you know so much? Okay, um, I think it would have started with uh, what my good friend Jace calls day zero. And that's the day you get your diagnosis. Um, and a lot of us, you could talk to a thousand people with had gotten a dementia diagnosis and you'd probably get similar answers. We were given the diagnosis by a very well-qualified neurologist, a very nice gentleman. We're still actually good friends with him to this day. But the way we got our diagnosis was, and it was almost this verbatim. Here's what all the test results show. Um, pretty sure you have younger onset Alzheimer's or, or dementia of the Alzheimer's type. Here's the medication I want to start you on. See you in six months. And he walked out the door and that was it. There was no referrals to support groups. There was no referrals to any types of organizations. There was no anything of what you should do next. And, and I've talked to people who have had worse diagnosis, you know, you know, go home and get your affairs in order. I mean, you're pretty much given a death sentence. 
And obviously, yes, this diagnosis is terminal. It is terminal. But I like to tell folks what the first, I mean, and you, again, you get a prescription for a medication. And I think one of the first, first prescriptions they should be giving people with di uh, di dementia diagnosis is, is for social engagement, is to stay active, is to stay engaged, is to stay doing something. Whatever it is you love to do, um, for people, it could be gardening, painting, photography, volunteering somewhere, because you still have so much need to go home and close the door, and that's the end of it, and wait for it to happen. You can still live a meaningful, purposeful life. And I think that's sadly um, not talked about especially with doctors who were giving patients a diagnosis. Had he done that, um, it, it would have saved me five or six months of my life. Because for the first five or six months, I was hiding under a rock. I really was. I mean, I was, in, I was depressed already, being treated for depression. But it, it got even worse. Um, all I did was, I, mean, I was out of work at the time. I decided to go back to work. Um, to work for as long as I could. Fortunately, I had a great employer, a great boss who made that possible, even though I couldn't drive anymore. Um, but I basically went to work, came home, ate, went to bed, pulled away. I wasn't doing anything. I stopped going out to visit people. Uh, I mean, 98% of what I was doing just stopped. And it wasn't until I met other people who were living the same journey in a support group that I developed a camaraderie with that made me realize that I wasn't alone. And I think that's the hardest part is, there, is that you think you're alone in this and you're not, you're truly not alone. Do, do we know how common Lewy body dementia is? I've been told it's the second most uh, common form of dementia. I, I want to, and I'm probably guessing at the numbers, but I'm, I've been heard that Alzheimer's is about 70%. Um, Lewy body might be 15 to 20%, I believe. Um, so the numbers are somewhere in that, in that range. Uh, we have another question from a viewer um, who's asking about, um, she says that her husband has Lewy body dementia and he's on both of the medications for, I, I presume on the Alzheimer's medications that you mentioned. Um, but the doctor said there's not a medication for the Parkinson's symptoms. Um, so she's wondering what you're taking for Parkinson's so that she can ask her doctor. And I, I should say, I, I, you know, we're not prescribing anything on this. No, site. no, no, please don't. Please. I'm yeah. not a doctor. I don't know what it is. I'd have to check with my wife. All I know is that I'm on a, I'm on a dosage of what they would, and I'm, Quite surprised to hear that because I know other people who have Parkinson's that, that are on medications to treat Parkinson's. It has something to do with the dopamine levels in your brain. That much I do know. So I would certainly advise that person to to talk to their doctor if it's a, if it's a general practitioner. That's one thing. If that's where they're getting the information from, I would highly suggest they go see a neurologist who specializes in Parkinson's and ask that person. And if they're not happy with the answer they're getting. I always tell people, find another doctor. Yeah. Seriously. We, we 
You hear that a lot. And I guess Lewy body is tricky in the sense that you're dealing with Parkinson's um, symptoms as well as, you know, mm -hmm. dementia symptoms. And is there, do you feel the medical care is equipped to deal with Lewy body? Are there Lewy body experts that you've talked to? I, fortunately, I have talked to a few. Um, and it, But to answer your question, no, I don't think there are enough. And I think part of the problem um, there, there is with that is it all comes down to research funding. And with, with the amount of money that's going into research, which is phenomenal, but like 95% of it or 90% of whatever the number is, it's pretty high. It's all geared towards Alzheimer's, um, which again, I mean, I'm not trying to take away how bad Alzheimer's is. I have very dear friends who passed away from Alzheimer's. And of course, I want to see a cure for that. But when the if the NIH isn't putting out, you know, research grants for funding in Lewy body dementia, well, you're not going to have researchers or doctors who want to invest their time into even looking at it. Um, what I mean, I think, you know, when you have had a diagnosis, um, you actually have so much to say that would educate doctors. So what would your advice be to doctors um, handling a case like yours? Wow. <laughs> That's a great question. It's kind of open. I don't know if you'd have enough time. But no, <laughs> um, seriously, um, I've been fortunate in that the doctor that I do have at Bass General talks and listens to me. I mean, when you first get, go for your appointment across, I go in a separate room, they do the cognitive test things and everything else. And then they have my wife go into another room and they talk to her about what's really going on. And then we get together. But at least I have a doctor who talks to me and asks me how I'm doing and he talks to me as I'm in the room, which is, you would think is common sense. Unfortunately, that doesn't always happen. Um, a lot of times doctors will talk right past the person living with the disease and talk to the caregiver as, as if, you know, they're not even in the room with them. Um, so I, I got to be honest with you, I forgot where I was going with that. And I totally forgot what the question was. No, so. no, don't worry. I was just asking you what, um, what you would advise doctors in terms of, you know, um, patient sensitivity. I think you, you answered that well. It's too yeah. inclusive in the decision making. Exactly. Don't, you know, yes, we have this disease, but, but we still, the majority of people living with, the, with any form of dementia still want to be included in every part of the decision making for as long as we can. We still have a voice. We still need to be heard. Um, and we need to be taken seriously. Absolutely. I mean, you know, too many situations where you hear about committees being formed, organizations, you know, about, you know, reforming this dementia committee. And they have 10, 15 people on the committee. But then you look at it and there's no one there's no one person living with the disease who's actually on the committee. And yeah. you sit back and go, why? What the heck's yeah. going on? You know, That's, it's because they don't think that we're, we're capable enough to still have a voice. I mean, obviously someone who may have progressed further on may not be able to do that, but for someone who's still capable of communicating well and, you know, offering ideas and opinions, 
you know, to even not consider them to be included to me is a travesty. Absolutely. And I mean, Mike, we're learning so much from you, um, you know, for from sharing your story. So that that is definitely apparent, you know, that you you are still extremely capable. Um, uh, we got we have a question from somebody who obviously knows you and says, uh -oh. anyone that knows you knows you're an amazing painter and cook. Have you found uh -huh. your art to be therapeutic for you um, since diagnosis? Yes. <laughs> I wish I knew who that was, but thank you for joining. Um, I've since learned, um, and that's another thing. Again, there's so many myths and stigmas about this disease. You know, you're told so many things, you know, you can't learn new things. And it's so far from the truth. Um, since I've retired, you know, I'm home, I learned that I love to cook. I'm not allowed to touch the stove when my wife's not home, but it's something we do together. Um, but I've also recently started painting in the last year. And to answer the person's question, 100% it's therapeutic. Um, especially because a lot of, I don't have, I don't believe it anyways, I have what people refer to as sundowning. But there are times, especially in the early to mid-afternoon, where I get very agitated, very nervous. And I found that if I'm, if I focus on drawing or painting or something that helps relax me and just kind of puts me in a zone, so to speak, like like it would anyone else. But it just helps to calm me down. And if I had, can you ever painted before, or did you take I've this? No, I've never. I'd only been able to uh, draw, draw when I was a kid, cartoons, um, Disney cartoons, things like that. But painting always intimidated me for some reason. I just couldn't grasp, you know, layering and things like that. And it wasn't until, uh, and I, I know again, I'm close for time here, but the first thing I did, and I talked about social engagement, the first thing I did after I retired from work permanently is I walked into my local senior center in Douglas, Massachusetts, and I asked them who they had that was helping their seniors with their technology issues. And at the time they didn't have anybody, so I volunteered. So we started a group, we met every Thursday, they call us Mike Google Gals. And <laughs> had a blast and it got some adopted grandparents and aunts and uncles and whoever. But the class they had right after mine was a painting class and I kept being encouraged to stick around. Um, and so one day I finally did. And I found out that this was fun and um, I, I've learned that people have told me I have a talent for it. And uh, it is it is very therapeutic it helps me a lot mike i really I, I really can't thank you enough um for sharing with us your story i i find you incredibly inspirational and um someone just commented on um on our uh messaging it saying mike you rock you know i couldn't agree more um and thank you for uh, what where should people go if they have more questions about louis body um are, is there a place that you can direct them absolutely um obviously i would definitely direct them to the louis body dementia association lvda.org um we've proudly just started a a advisory group to work in conjunction with lvda that is made up of four individuals living with louis body and three caregivers so we're actually going to be working uh, together with LBDA to try to raise more awareness, to try to come up with different ideas, um, things that we can help reach out to get 
to reach more people, to, to help more people. Um, but for, you know, as far as specifically for Louis body, that's definitely the, the place I would go to. There's also, I believe are 24, there's about 24, what they call regional centers of excellence, um, which are different hospitals. Um, the Mass General has one. Um, the one that we talked about off camera in, in Arizona. Uh, that Banner. Of Is it Banner? Banner goes to in Arizona, uh, in Arizona, but there's a number of them across the country. So if, if but if you just go to lbda.org and look for regional centers of excellence, you'll find, you know, any of the information there. So, so um, the the whole reason why we have being patient perspectives is to raise awareness and and pay attention to people like Mike's perspective um, on what it's like to live with dementia and to enlighten us for that matter, as we could see through this conversation. Um, you provided us with so many insights um, that we wouldn't get from anyone else. So we're very grateful for that, um, for your time and your willingness to, to talk um, about living with Louie Body. Um, thank you, Mike. Thank you so much uh, for joining us. You're welcome. If, if I could just finish with one other thing. Yeah, absolutely. Um, one other thing that one of the things we're trying to do with with this uh, organization, with LBDA, as well as, if you don't mind, I'll put a plug in for a few other organizations. One's called Dementia Action Alliance, another one is Dementia Alliance International, and then of course the Alzheimer's Association, is that we're trying to show people that even though you have a diagnosis of dementia, you can still live well. Everybody's progression is different. And it, from point A to point B is, is gonna be different with everybody. It's, it's what do you do with that time from point A to point B? And what do you want to do with yourself? Or what do you want to, you know, how can you help somebody else in that interim? So for, especially for the general public to know that even though we have this diagnosis, don't just take us for granted that we don't know what's going on. You know, we're still very capable and there's a lot of us that have a voice that want to say something, that want to do something to, to make some effective change. So please just check out any of those organizations. Um, you'll need some incredibly wonderful uh, people and and any one of them can help you, you know, along your journey. So thank you. Thank, thank you. you for very flattered. Very honored no, to be here. No, and thank you for, for sharing that. Um, I'm sure people who see this interview will have more questions. If you do, um, please leave them on the Facebook um, conversation message um, area. And we always um, keep these interviews on beingpatient.com so you can watch it again um, or pass it along to someone else uh, once uh, we upload it to our site. Thank you, Mike. Um, and please uh, don't forget about us. Keep us posted. Um, we love hearing from um, your perspective, a first person um, perspective. So we're very grateful that you joined us today. Thank you again. Thank you for what you're doing to help raise awareness for everybody else. It's very, extremely important. Thank you.